What's up, guys? Coming up on today's show, we talk Drew Brees breaking the all-time passing record and then speak to one of his former teammates and backups, Luke McCown. We bring you our biggest matchups as we're heading into week six, as well as our Tomahawk takes and Tomahawks of the week. We reveal the winners of our week six DraftKings League, and we play another rousing round of Ask Nat. All that and more on our Thursday episode of the Tomahawk Show. Listen in. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, presented by LeBron's Uninterrupted Network. I am your humble co-host, Joe Thomas. As always, I have my less-than-humble Andrew Hawkins. We just call him Hawk around here for short. If you ever want to know, we'll let you know how he got that nickname. It's very secret. And we've got the ever-venerable Natty Ice with us in the rear. How you doing today, Natty? I'm doing wonderful back in L.A. from a weekend in New York, um, sitting next to Hawk, the oh-so-humble Hawk. You know what? My humility exudes through the airwaves. It's funny because somebody who hadn't listened to our show actually listened to our last week's episode, and they were like, hey, I listened to the Tomahawk show. That's really good. I'm like, well, I appreciate it, man. He was like, you guys do a lot of self-promoting. Well, well, we're humble, so there's that. (laughs) Well, I got to know, Nat, I I was in New York City a week ago, and I love that place. It's so much fun. There's always something to do. What did you do? What were the highlights of your trip? The highlights of my trip? Well, Friday night, I went to a friend's show, live podcast show, which was really fun in Brooklyn. I'd never been to Brooklyn before, so that was cool. I'll probably end up staying there next time I go. Um, Also, spent the day in Central Park, just hanging out with my friend, got some beers, a blanket, food laid out in Central Park for like hours on Sunday, which was cool. I also saw the Met, which had a really cool Armenia exhibit, actually. That's why I went. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a great trip overall. I don't know how I feel about her going to other podcast shows. Joe, you've been to another podcast show? Never cheated on the Tomahawk show. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, I went. I went to go like see what the other people are doing. I mean, the show I went to was no competition, but I just oh, had to see what they were doing okay. so that we could like, you know. Well, Did next you know time, why don't you pull a, why don't you be a team player and pull a fire alarm like you're supposed <laughs> to? <laughs> That's a good point though. I mean, a live podcast would be a great idea. I think we'd be good at it. I think it would be a lot of fun. Maybe we can uh, work that into the Tomahawk show sometime. I love it. That's a good idea. It's a good segue into uh, following us on social and hitting us up at, at Tomahawk show. As a matter of fact, if you guys have suggestions of where we should do a live Tomahawk podcast, tweet it to us and we'll try to get this in the works right now because you're right. I think, I think we're at the time at the point now where we need to bring this live to the fans, live to our, our, our audience. And we all need to just hang out and, and throw back some 73 coaches together. Mm, I like that idea. All right, Hawk, let's get right into the NFL talk. Let's talk a little bit about that Monday night football game that we saw just a few days ago and how pathetic that game was. And (laughs) Drew Brees just absolutely stomped out the Redskins. Yeah, that was bad, man. It was like almost they went into the game knowing that they were going to lose. I mean, everybody was talking about the record. I was doing the Sports Center on Snap show I do on Monday nights. And typically we cover the Monday night football game. And I was telling them, I'm like, it doesn't matter. What happens? This game can go into quad, quadruple overtime. They could change NFL rules, and they could extend the overtimes right here tonight, and the story will be that Drew Brees breaks the record. Unfortunately, you could tell the Redskins team was thinking the same thing. So it was like <laughs> so like uneventful. Even after the game, they were doing interviews like, hey, did you think about Drew Brees stopping them? They were like, yeah, no, we didn't even think about that. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. It's good motivation <laughs> heading into the Monday night football game. It was like uh, the Redskins knew that they were the homecoming opponent. They were like the crappy team down the street that has only 11 players that can have just <laughs> enough for a team, and they're going to go and play like the powerhouse. Yeah, like when, they, you know, like, was, like when Ohio State schedules Wisconsin for their homecoming. Yeah, 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 like Toledo. When you see Toledo on the schedule, <laughs> Toledo knows they're coming in to get whooped, so they just show up, they get their paycheck, and they get out of there. That's what it looks like the Redskins were doing. And what's going on with Alex Smith? This guy, I used to think he was legit. I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It was only last year where he, people were talking about a career resurgence. He's throwing the ball down the field now. All of a sudden, he's one of those elite quarterbacks. Then Kansas City says, nope, we're good. You can leave. We got this other kid. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name's Patrick. And uh, we think he's going to be pretty good. So, call him Patty. The Redskins, they take the bait. 
They give him a gazillion, jillion dollars, and all of a sudden he turns back into the Alex Smith that he was 10 years ago when nobody wanted him. Well, look, what is, what is the Redskins record right now? Is it two and two? Is that right? Not, not good enough for me to know. Let's put it that way. Okay, so let's say they're, they're two and two. They're first in the East. They're, they're first in the East at they're two? And- the NFC East is the worst division in football. Yeah, but it's amazing that we're saying what's wrong with uh, Alex Smith and they're first in the division at two and two. But you got to realize Alex Smith is a, the definition of 500. You know what I mean? So it's not like there's going to be games where it's like that. Like he went through a stretch of six games last season. Remember they started off hot and then they couldn't win a game for six straight games. And they were talking about benching them then for Patrick Mahomes. That's who Alex Smith is. Alex Smith is always going to be the 15th best quarterback in the NFL as long as he's ever in it because he's right in the middle. His teams are going to go at least eight. He's going to win at least eight games this year. He always does. You know, and it's just nothing to write home about. It just sucks for Redskins fans or even people who are on the bandwagon of Alex Smith when you see it on Monday Night Football. You're just not used to seeing him play like, that way. But it wasn't a surprise. I was more worried about the Redskins defense than anything because they were just laying down. And I get the, the Saints offense is great and it's Drew Brees and he's the all-time leading passer, but they didn't even put up a fight. They clearly didn't watch the games that the Browns played against them uh, at the beginning of the season because the Browns defense actually did really well against Drew Brees. I mean, they didn't hold them to no points, but they at least put up a little bit of resistance, unlike the Redskins, who actually their defense have been playing really well. And so I was really disappointed to see the Redskins coming off of a bye week, which usually means you're going to have a better game plan. You've been self-scouting all week. You've been looking at the things you don't do well. You've been looking at your opponent. You've been saying, all right, these are the weaknesses we can take advantage of. There's going to be five kind of new wrinkles in your offense that you're going to be able to throw out there that you got to expect are going to be big wins and big plays for you. And then on defense, you're going to be able to say, okay, these are the things that we think we can confuse Drew Brees with. We're going to hit him with this. These are these five new calls that he's never seen. So you're going to go into that game saying we've got a 10-play advantage coming out of our bye week over where we normally would be. And to be able to just squander that the way they did is almost impressive. I almost got to give him credit because (laughs) did you see that play when Drew set the record? I couldn't – I rewound it three times. I could not find a Washington Redskins player on the screen when (laughs) Drew Brees dropped back and threw the pass down the field. And it was like once the receiver caught the ball – he looked around. He couldn't believe nobody was on the field. He thought maybe there was a timeout, and then he jogged into the end zone the rest of the 60 yards. It, it was like the, the Favre when he let Strahan sack him for yep, the, exactly. the record. That's what the defense for the Redskins was doing. All the DBs were like, hey, let him get this long yarder so he can get his record and we can continue on with the football game. But it was like, so we can continue on with collecting our check and then get out of here a little sooner because it's going to happen. And, you know, it's already late. We're going to get home. Stop the game. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that was pathetic. I, I don't know. Does, does this poor performance from the Redskins put Jay Gruden squarely on the hot seat? Uh, no. Here's why. Because Jay is a master at this, man. He's a Gruden. They know what they're doing. No one expected Alex Smith to be the answer. Now, there is still a good chance. Except the guy writing the checks, the $100 million check he wrote. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is something – to be said for the Redskins could still win the division. That's number one. They're, they're at this time ahead in the division. So that's still a possibility. Also, again, no one expecting is expecting Alex Smith to be the future. And there, there's always an out when you have an older quarterback to say, he's past his prime. We got to look for our guy. So if they draft a young quarterback in this draft, that will buy them, the coaching staff, another year or two to develop. And I, that's all a part of the plan. It's crazy how the NFL is now where it's not just go out there and coach football. Those kind of coaches are few and far between. It's now you have to have a mix of coaching football and then also being creative with what you do with the team and the decisions you make to elongate the opportunity while you're coaching and not to get fired quick because that's just the landscape of football nowadays. So what coach in the NFL has mastered that the best? Who is the best coach in the NFL at just not getting fired? He's not a great coach, but he knows how to work the system and doesn't get fired. I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, wow. Sounds like you got somebody on the tip of your tongue, but you're afraid to spit it out, Andrew. I honestly have, like, Belichick has done a good job, I guess. Oh, yeah. Those Super Bowls, they they didn't hurt. The longest tenured coach, he's done a good job of not getting fired. 
No, I'll tell you who my guy is. It's Jason Garrett. How about that guy, right? So he had that really good season where they went 13 and three a few years ago. And Uh that like bought him some big time time. And I think what's working in his favor is Jerry Jones loved him when he was a player. He gave him the job. And I think he does not want to be seen as an owner with a quick trigger. He, he really is concerned with having that stigma as an owner that you're going to just fire a guy willy-nilly and you're not going to put a lot of thought into it. So I feel like Jason Garrett has really figured that out, and he's definitely been exploiting it, even though he's had some really rocky years. Yeah, Jason Garrett should have been fired. And I, he, I, think he, I said this earlier in the season. He'll be the first coach fired, I think. Okay. So All right. So now we got joining us an expert of all things quarterback, the best quarterback in NFL history, which is how we introduce all of our guests. Luke McCown, the man, the myth, the legend. Luke, how are you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. And I, I, want, I want to cut out of that specifically the, the replay over and over in, in my house so that uh, <laughs> when, when my kids want to dress up as Drew and go outside and, and, and play football and not as me, then I can just keep playing that over and over again and maybe I'll get some, get some votes there. There you go. You make it your ringtone. That way they always think <laughs> it's real. It. My son, it. we were at the Dick Sporting Goods yesterday. My son's getting into flag football. I was buying them cleats. And there's not a lot of selection for six-year-old kids. So there's like three. And one of them was Under Armour. And he's like, nah, I don't want those. I'm like, they're Cam Newton's. He's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's try them on. He's like, Dad, did you get a shoe yet? I'm like, uh, we're still working on it, son. Don't worry about it. But it's, <laughs> That's right. It's definitely, there's been talks. There's it's, it's in the works. It's in talks. the works. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Joe Thomas here. I got a question. Do you guys remember when Michael Jordan was in his prime? And I remember, I'll never forget this interview he did with like 60 Minutes or something like that, where they were interviewing his kids and his son said that uh, Scottie Pippen was his favorite player. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget because obviously – Here's this guy. He's the, the greatest player of his generation and maybe the greatest of all time. And he can't even get his son to cheer for him. And so I guess the moral of my story is that when my kids think I was shit in the NFL and were not ever a fan of me and, and wish they could be Andrew Hawkins or Luke McDonald, <laughs> one of these other great Cleveland Brown players, I'm not going to take it too personally because Michael Jordan's own son didn't love him as much as he loved Scottie Pippen. Listen, there go, and there's man. some people. There's some people that it's it's okay. Like when I played in Atlanta, and my kids wanted to be Julio, I was like, you know what? I want to be Julio. So why why wouldn't you want to be? <laughs> that makes all the sense in the world. Look, you talked about Drew breaking the record, man, uh, for all time passing yards on Monday Night Football. What were your What were the f- first few thoughts that came to your mind when you seen it happening? Well, you know, first of all, the the atmosphere, and and listen, all of us at, at some point is. Uh, has played in the dome and you you understand that atmosphere but when the team is really rolling and I've seen it um on, on both sides of it being a visitor in that in that building and and then being on the team there's very few times if ever that man when you walk into the building there was a a crisp like this is going to be a special night feeling in the air and and it's yeah. because of the fans it's because of the the venue and and how diehard they are but it's because ultimately that revolves around Drew and and the belief that that city has in that team revolves around one number and it's nine man it was it was really really special and I said this to Drew when he came off to the sideline I said man you just gotta have a knack for for uh, breaking records on touchdown passes like you can't just be like matriculating it down the field it has to be some flair for the dramatic and so it, it was it was super special, man. And, and uh, you know, as professional and and kind of by the book that Drew is and he wanted to get right to the two point conversion they were running and, and, and didn't want to spend a whole lot of time focusing on this. It was such an awesome thing for him to to be able to, to have Brittany and the kids there on the sideline and take a moment just to kind of soak that in. Because I don't know. I, Drew is is super calculated, but he's so focused and it's what makes him one of the best if not the best ever to play he's so immersed in what he's doing at that time that uh, I don't know how often he gets to sit back and just kind of go wow this is this is something else and I know that he will because he's a super reflective person but in that moment the NFL made made him kind of stop the game and go over and celebrate that and the hall of fame ball and all that stuff 
And so I think that was super special for him. When do you think he will be able to reflect on his career? Obviously, he's still got a few more good years in him. We all expect to see him play, you know, who knows, maybe two, three, four, maybe five more seasons. But uh, is he the type of guy that when he's done playing, we'll never see from him again? Or do you expect him to be somebody that's going to try to get into the front office or get into coaching or do something like that? I, I know this, that he's highly motivated at whatever he does. But I, I know this about him, too. And, and we spent a lot of time together. Obviously, our, our, for the four years that I was there, and our families are kind of in the same stage of life with our kids' ages and stuff like that. He wants to be you know, the, the all-in dad and, and not miss a beat. And so I, I do think that that's priority number one. I heard him, he, he said it to me this way one time. He said, when, when it's off-season, uh, mama knows I'm hers and I'm all-in on the off-season. And when it comes, you know, July uh, and we're, we're heading to training camp, then she she knows that I'm all, I'm all saint. And, I'm, and so I think there will be – moments for him where he's like you know what I'm done playing I'm all dad and that's all I'm going to do for however long that is and he's earned that I talked to him today and he's we were going to go out to eat last night my wife and I we were in New Orleans doing some um, just some medical stuff at, at Tulane and uh, and we were going to go out to eat with he and Brittany last night and he texted and said you know hey I've got flag football practice with my kids <laughs> so he's all in and whatever he does he's all in and, and that's what makes him great yeah, I don't know if I would want Drew Brees as my flag football coach, if I'm being completely honest. I feel like that bar might be a little high. It's um, <laughs> the expectation. Yeah. Might be a little out of my realm. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, it, it's really cool. I just share this, but it's really cool how he's designed that. He's got his kids playing. I think Mickey Loomis has two kids playing on the team. And, um, and, uh, and okay. he's got the way that he's kind of come up with his playbook to make it interesting for the kids instead of like X and Y and Z and F, right, the normal uh, vernacular that we talk in with positions, uh, it's, uh-huh. uh, it, it's, it's I and it's H and it's S, and they're superheroes. It's Iron Man and it's Superman wow. and it's Hulk and T is Thor. And so the kids get lined up like, okay, on, on this play, I'm Iron Man. You know? So it's, he, yeah. he's made it relatable. So Well, we've had a couple of offensive coordinators in Cleveland that had very similar uh, knowledge and and the way that they called plays. Sure. They were talking to us like we were seven-year-olds. Um, my next question, Luke, is this. When you're backing up Drew, who seems like Iron Man, which is a good segue, and I feel like the backup doesn't get much work. When you were there and you had to go in at 2015, what was your thought process? And when you went there in the first place, were you thinking like, man, this is about to be the easiest money I've ever made backing <laughs> up Drew? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> You kind of you kind of think that obviously it's um, you know you're going into a situation where you're playing behind an all-time great, but he, he doesn't ever miss a game and he doesn't ever want to give you a throw ever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you rarely get a pass. And I texted him the other day. I said, "Don't act like you ain't mad that Taysom Taysom Hill is getting these runs and and you got to take take the ball <laughs> out of your hands for a second. Don't act like you're you know the, the good soldier all the time." Uh, but, but yeah, you, you realize you realize that the you know part of the greatness of of Drew and Tom and Peyton and all those guys is they want every snap, they want yeah. every live snap, they want every snap on air, they want every snap, they want every snap at goal line. We just turn around and hand a belly off to the fullback. They want it, and, and um, yeah. that's the competitive greatness that they play with. And so for me. When I got there in 2013, I, I understood that part of it. So I, for a backup quarterback, I went, okay, what I want to do now is just mimic, literally try and mimic. And I'm further along in, in, in age at that point at, at my 10th year in the league um, by the time I got there. And so I, but I wanted wow. to mimic every motion that he was doing. So I changed the way that I prepared and that I, I, I literally stood right behind him. You know, a lot of times, Joe, you know, this offensive line kind of stands Offensive line coach stands like right behind uh, the huddle, right behind the line of scrimmage suit in, in the play. And oftentimes, you know, Brett, the offensive line coach, would get mad at me because I'm standing right in the middle. I'm like, not. And, and every snap, I'm <laughs> taking the drop. I'm turning around. I'm acting like I'm handing it off. And so my preparation had to change just understanding that. And uh, so I really felt like uh, I was super prepared. But here's the thing about New Orleans, and I tell free agent quarterbacks that I got, and I told Teddy this, the other night when I was talking to him, what makes 
New Orleans uh, and, and being with Drew and Sean and those guys, unique for a, any player, but specifically a quarterback, uh, even, even the backups, is that you feel involved in every aspect of the team. You know, and it's, it's truly a partnership. From scouting uh, all the way down to coaching, it's truly like, hey, let's work this thing together to make us as good as we can be. So it was a unique situation for me because I felt so much a part of the offense and the game plan, even as a backup, that when I stepped in at Carolina, uh, I was very comfortable with what we were doing. Hey, Luke, what was your favorite offense that you've ever played in? Oh, uh, in New Orleans by far. And just as a scheme, West Coast. Uh, even my four years in Tampa with, with John Gruden. But New Orleans, you see real quickly, and that, there's a lot of talk right now. You're hearing it everywhere from first take to, you know, NFL Network and all over the place about Drew and where he lines up as uh, one of the greatest of all time. And, well, he's got Sean Payton, though. And, and listen, all those guys have guys. Marino had Shula. Right. Uh, Brady has Belichick. They all have guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Drew has Payton. You, that can't be – like this is why he's one of them or not one of them. So the offense, by far the most fun because of how creative, how imaginative, how unafraid to be aggressive. You know, the, you really see the quarterback come out and coach Peyton. You know, a lot of people forget that he, you know, albeit a short stint, he played in the league for a, a little while. And so he just got a mind that's aggressive and, and wants to dominate offensively and, uh, and makes it fun for quarterback. How many more years do you think Drew Brees is going to play? In Vegas, you had to put a million bucks on right now. How many more years is Drew Brees going to be a quarterback in the NFL? Here's, here's what I, I tell people, and I've not talked to Drew about this. So I'm not speaking for him at all, and I, I, I wouldn't dare do so. Right. My opinions are he's so competitive that he'll play as long as he sees somebody else around his age playing and playing well. So it could be uh, I'm looking okay. over, the, over you know, across the country at Tom, and I'm watching him play. And if he can still do it, I can still do it. You know, uh, so I, I see it in his eyes, and he still loves the game. And he loves to compete, and he loves to prepare, and he could play another four or five years. You know, it's been, a lot's been made of the, the changes to the rules. So with all that being said, we, we have nothing to do with the rules, right, guys? All we do is play by them, and whether we agree with them or disagree exactly. with them, he's benefiting from that. And so with the rule changes, absolutely, he could, he could play another three, four, five years. Where does Drew rank amongst the all-time quarterbacks in the NFL? For my money? You, Hawks money. Let's use Hawks money. Let's use Hawks my money. money. <laughs> my wife I think he's got money. more of it than all of us combined. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that he's, gosh, he's got to be in the conversations with being one of the best ever. I'll, I'll beat the drum for Tom as well with all the championships and all the things that he's done. But when you look at Drew, you look at it and go, he's got a Super Bowl ring. A Super Bowl MVP, he's got all that. He's got every record imaginable uh, that says when you talk about the quarterback play as a whole, obviously winning championships is the biggest statistic. But then there are other mm -hmm. things, other measurables that come into play. When you just talk about who's the greatest as a whole, accuracy, yardage, touchdowns, he's going to be one or two by the time he's finished in every category. I don't know how you don't factor in all of that to say, yeah, he's quite possibly one one of if not the best ever yeah where does where does josh mccown rank in in those rankings well you know he he ranks in a guy that's probably got the best hair, the best <laughs> hair right now of uh, of all time as, as quarterbacks go that's a great question about the hair because i remember josh from his chicago years and the hair wasn't quite on point that then he didn't quite figure out the swoop and the gel situation i think until <laughs> he went down to Tampa Bay. so was that uh coaching points from you luke or where did he pick up this great hair game listen it was uh, it was not from me if anybody knows either of us if, if there's a swag meter on the mccown boys josh has far more than Luke, I promise you. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Uh, you know, skinny jeans don't quite fit with my boots, uh, so I can't, I can't quite rock it that way. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think he's, he'd been in the lab in his time in Chicago, and, he, you know, he'd been in the lab for a while working on hair, and it just kind of came to a head in, Cle in, uh, in Tampa with, you know, with the, the proper humidity and the, the gel, and, and it just kind of worked <laughs> down there, so – yeah, the, the the come over did wonders for him, man. It just put him into a different stratosphere. Now, you you announced your retirement this year, right? In April. That's right. That's right. 
when when is Josh going to retire? Because I think he's going to play as long as people are paying him ten million a year to be a coach. I think he's going to play till he's fifty. Highest paid quarterback coach in the history of the league. That's, and, and that's where he'll go down. He'll go down in the in the, in, in the history of, of NFL football is, is highest paid quarterback coach. But listen, he's he's put a lot of work in. He loves he loves it. He loves the game. Uh, he's been incredibly fortunate, Joe. You know, I mean, he. You guys saw him in, in Tampa in particular uh, just get beat up um, there for a couple of years. Just And so he's extremely tough, one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever I've ever known. I'm not saying that because he's my brother, but he's extremely tough. And I, I really thought last year would have been his last year. Uh, and then they, they decided to pay him, pay him $10 million this year, so who can complain about that? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't speak about your time in Cleveland since our fan base – is so Cleveland oriented. You and Josh are the only pair of brothers that are on the infamous quarterback jersey of Cleveland. Can we oh, get your wow. craziest Brown story? Give us your craziest Brown story of your time in Cleveland. All right. So I was a rookie and I didn't have a ton of time there. I spent one year there and got traded. So whatever that tells you about my abilities, I can take that for what it's worth. Um, that's all of us. That's all of us, Luke. Don't worry about it. Well, except for Joe. <laughs> Except for Joe. Except for Joe. I mean, mayor. Uh, but uh, who's, who's responsible for Josh getting killed in Cleveland as well? Yeah. I like how you painted it like, like it was his time in Tampa when it was just clearly well, off the left side of the line. Well, uh, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be conscientious of what I say. Uh, but <laughs> um, no, so uh, I, I've always been a jumper. Uh, I, I could always jump real well. And, and, and you guys know this, uh, right as you're coming in, from the from the, the grass field out the back, there's that orange air duct going across the hallway uh, from like where the uh, training room is to the to the locker room. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm coming in one day and take a couple steps and I jump on and I touch this. And the only two guys uh, we had a receiver named Frisman Jackson. Frisman looked at me and goes, "Hey, do that again." And so I step back and I take a couple steps. So I jump and touch it. And he goes, "Okay, don't don't tell anybody you can do that." You and me, we, we're about to make some money here. <laughs> so he goes in here, and gets, uh, you know, a uh, bunch of guys that come out and they start taking bets. They start start taking bets because this white guy jump up here and touch that. They're like, no way. He's a white dude, number one. <laughs> he's a white dude, but he, he's a white dude that talks like a country guy too. So there's absolutely no way that he can do this. And so uh, we end up pocketing, a, you know, a couple hundred dollars just off some bets and uh, for me being able to jump up and touch this thing. But. Uh, that's probably the wildest thing that happened in my short eight or nine months that I had in Cleveland. <laughs> hey, hey, Luke, last question, then we're going to let you go. Um, do you have any good Drew Brees stories that you could kind of peel back the curtain for those of us that are on the outside, just watching his greatness uh, from a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. You know, I was, I was telling, um, I was telling Kurt one of this before the game the other night, one of my favorite Drew stories of all time and I've got two of them but one of them is this uh my first year there uh we get through with a, a Saturday morning and I believe this is even preseason which makes it even more phenomenal to me we get through with our walkthrough and, and everybody else break it down everybody runs out to get their sandwich or go home and shower go get on the plane whatever it is and I walk through the the weight room and and, and in our indoor facility and weight room we got windows that that look out to the field so I walk back through the weight room to grab grab a Gatorade or something and I look back, and there's Drew on the field, and he's got a Gatorade bottle, and the Gatorade is sitting about five yards ahead of him, and he's he as if he's in the shotgun, right? He's standing behind as if the Gatorade bottle's the center, and, and he's standing behind it. But he's not moving, but he's standing in a posture like he's ready for a snap. And you kind of watch him, and he and you'll see his hands kind of flinch, you know, as if he's making a, a hard count or something like that. And then you'll see him lick his fingers and do it again. And Corey Godet, which is, who's uh, one of our equipment guys, uh, walks by and said, Corey, what's he doing? And Corey looks over to me and says, I don't know. I think he's trying to move that bottle with his mind. <laughs> I said, has, he ever, has it ever moved? And he said, not in my nine years that I've seen it, but he's getting close. <laughs> and it, that's, but he was going through, like, all of his favorite plays and all the different scenarios, and he was visualizing and once he gets done with that, he goes down to the other end of the field and does two two-minute drives on air by himself where he's calling out signals, plays, 
and 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 throwing the ball, you know, and just kind of going through, and he's running, and by the end of it, he's got a sweat going, and that's the greatness that's true. And I saw, I said this to, uh, and, and they've got Teddy there, and Teddy's going to benefit in a big, big way from just being being around uh, Drew and and that group. But uh, I said this to Kurt. I said, man, I hope, I really do. I hope they get uh, a a surefire young guy that can see. Drew do that and they can kind of mimic that and learn how to do that because how valuable is that understanding that kind of preparation and mentality going into a game going into a preseason game where he's not going to play that much but that's how invested yeah. he was in being great and and that's that's what makes him great and the other story is this 2014 we were in we were in Detroit and it was kind of a back and forth game and we ended up losing that game but it was kind of a back and forth game and as a critical third down and we talked about a play. It wasn't even on the game plan. We talked about the play and a certain personnel like five minutes before the, the, the game started. And so here comes this critical third down, and Drew runs over and is going, hey, Sean, call this. And as Drew's saying that, Sean's calling the play that he's talking about. And so they, mm. it's, it's, it's that mentality. They think so much alike. They're just on the same page all the time, which makes those two guys great in particular and why they've had – so much success uh but but drew thinks like a coach thinks like a coordinator thinks and sean thinks like a quarterback thinks and and when you got that mm. that uh, those ingredients you've you got an opportunity to do something special which, which they've done over the last 13 years that's amazing so drew is kind of a crazy person that's that's incredible <laughs> he's a jedi man he's a jedi you know two weeks ago what was it uh atlanta when he made that crazy spin move and touchdown like we, uh-huh. we joke about that stuff all the time like just if something happens and there's a breakdown of protection, just Jedi mind trick them and get out of it. We said that all the time. That's literally <laughs> what he did. Like, you could probably look it up. Uh, San Francisco in 2013 was running an all-out pressure, and two guys come scot free, and Drew's got nowhere to go except tuck the ball and just kind of turn and pirouette. And both these guys, it's almost like they either closed their eyes or, or either he went invisible. He went invisible, and they didn't even see him. And he turns around, and, he, and there's Jimmy, and he throws it for a touchdown. It's unreal the things that he's able to do. That's uh, amazing, man. That's amazing. Well, Luke, we're going to let you go, man. I'm sure we will all link back up when Josh gets the head coaching gig somewhere, and you're the offensive coordinator. Joe's the uh, O-line coach, and yeah. I am the assistant general manager. So we look forward to that, man. Uh, but until next time, we appreciate you joining us on the Tomahawk Show, man. Hawk, Joe, man, thanks much. Joe, whenever you want to come hunting, man, just holler at me. I appreciate it, my friend. I'll, I'll come, too. Come on. Luke, come on Hawk, we'll be hunting too. Hawk. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. All right. Appreciate it, Luke, man. We'll talk to you soon, brother. See you guys. Bye. All right. Well, we appreciate Luke McCow, man. That's our guy. It, the McCow family are, are near and dear to the Tomahawk hearts. Uh, we appreciate him coming in, giving us the insight on Drew and Josh and all things quarterback and football play. Uh, what we got next, Joe? Well, hey, let's pivot and go right into our individual matchups of the week, the Tomahawk individual matchups of the week. And mine is a really exciting one. I'm going skill position this week. Un- unlike most weeks, all I want to talk about is offensive line and defensive line play. This week, I'm really excited because my guy Lil Wayne has got me juiced about (laughs) OBJ and that interview and that drama that they have caused out there in New York City, the Big Apple, because OBJ is going to be playing the Eagles and going against a very solid corner in Ronald Darby. And I'm really excited to see what happens because obviously OBJ had a lot of pressure last week after that Mm -hmm. big uh, interview where he shitted on everybody on the Giants, and then after the game said, he, after the game he talked about how he was such a good captain and leader for galvanizing the team in their loss. <laughs> he did a great job bringing that team together so they could lose the game, and everyone could point fingers at their quarterback and their head coach, who they can obviously do nothing about right now. Joe, so uh, you know I'm excited. Who, you know who would have benefited from you uh, shitting on the shitting on people? you shitting on the Cleveland Browns teammates when you were there. We could have benefited from that. We needed that motivation yeah. to stand together we, as a team. We needed me to galvanize everybody by saying how great I was and how much everybody with me sucks. The lovey-dovey Joe wasn't working. We needed, yeah. we needed the a-hole Joe. Yeah, so I want to see OBJ and see what he does with his second act. Is there still going to be energy and momentum coming off of that interview and coming off of that better performance that he had 
or is he going to stink the bed against a very good Eagles defense? Even though they haven't been playing great, they're still a very good defense. It's going to be a tough matchup for Darby, and there's a powder keg that's being ignited there that I just hope OBJ has like two catches in the game, and he just explodes on the sideline and gets in Eli's face because I want to see how Eli would react. The guy is a cardboard cutout most of the time, and I can't wait to see if he's just overflowing with the emotions and gets in like a fist fight with OBJ on the sidelines. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly about a fist fight. I would like to see a fist fight on the sideline, but I'm going to go with someone that OBJ actually did have a fist fight with, and that is Josh Norman versus the Carolina Panthers. That's my individual matchup. Josh Norman, who didn't play great last week, he actually got benched at halftime because Mike Thomas – receiver for the Saints, who also should be in the conversation as best wideouts in the league. New development here on the Tomahawk Show. Um, he didn't play great, but he's playing against his old team. The reason why this is interesting is because Josh needs to have a bounce-back week, and there's really no better team to do it against than the one that you used to play for. As a guy who came from Cincinnati to Cleveland, I would all like those games would always get me juiced up. Now, we weren't very successful because of our left tackle against the Bengals, but mm. Even mm. still, that like there's like an extra sense of motivation. So that coupled with the fact that he didn't play well last week, I think we're going to have to see uh, fireworks from Josh Norman. D'Angelo Williams came out, not D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Hall came out and said he thinks Josh Norman is too worried about being a celebrity, which is why he's not playing well on the football field. Those are fighting words. So Josh has to put up or shut up this week. Can we talk real quick about the growing rap beef that we've got going on right now? Do we? I don't know if you've heard about this. I don't know. What is the rap beef, Joe? Please enlighten me. It's my guy, Lil Wayne, who I've always loved. I always love the way he collaborates and he's kind of uh, blazed a new path in the hip-hop industry. And everybody's favorite New York Giants quarterback, Eli Manning. Did you hear about this, Hawk? I actually, I did see a little bit of the back and forth. We all heard that interview with OBJ and Lil Wayne where they were a little bit less than complimentary of our man Eli Manning. Uh-huh. Well, of course, Eli, after the game, tries to handle it as best as he can with humor, which is usually how he does these things. And he kind of said something about like, uh, you know, I don't watch Lil Wayne much, so I guess I didn't see the interview. You know, trying to be a little bit funny about kind of that's not his genre Try- of music that he's listening to. Trying to close the, the loop on the whole situation. Right. And so, of course, Lil Wayne hears about that probably a few days later after he wakes up from his nap, and he says, uh, whoa, 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 hang on. We were both from New Orleans. You're supposed to back me up because we're both from the same hometown. And here you talk about you don't watch Lil Wayne much. That's fine. I'm cool with what you, I don't care what you watch or what you listen to or nothing like that. But you know, man, it's hometown love, man. You ain't got to do me like that, man. And and then he goes on and, and starts saying things like, uh, I was backing you up when uh, nobody wanted to support you. And I was talking about how you got two rings before your brother and how you were a better player. Eli, man, every time somebody badmouthed you, I'd be the first one to say, you can ask Skip Bayless. That's my homie. Shout out, Skip. You can ask Skip Bayless. I'm the first one to back you up, man. I'd be like, man, he got two rings before his brother. Blase, blase. Lil Wayne said this to a camera while holding a large hand-rolled item emitting copious amounts of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably so, a cigarette. Go ahead. Yes. So this is, uh, this is a development to watch throughout the season for all mm-hmm. of you fans of uh, Eli Manning and uh, Lil Wayne. Oh, wow, man. We got real-life New Orleans beef between the Manning family mm-hmm. and, the, and the Wheezy family. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that development. All right, let's, let's go to uh, Tom of Hot Takes, Joe. What we got? Who's your, who's your, what's your hot take for the weekend? Hi, Hawk. My Tomahawk take of the week is that Derek Carr will do his best Phoenix impression and rise from the ashes against the Seahawks secondary, which actually is a pretty good unit. They've held, I think, all of the quarterbacks they've gone against, or at least as an average, they've held those quarterbacks to a rating of under 80, and they've allowed the seventh fewest passing yards. So even though the Legion of Boom is no longer there anymore, the Seahawks secondary is pretty good. But I'm still thinking that Derek Carr is going to have an excellent game in London. He's going to come back from the dead. He's going to put all the beef between him and John Gruden behind them. And he's going to be the Derek Carr that we saw two years ago. No, absolutely not. That, that is a Tom, <laughs> another Tom of Dumb take from my co-host. Thank you. But you know what we did miss on individual matchups now that you mentioned that? Marshawn versus the Seahawks. 
Mm. That's a pretty big deal. Ooh. Right? Because, well, tell me about it. Well, I, I think that there should be a 30 for 30 on how when Pete Carroll decided to throw and not hand it off to Marshawn Lynch, that was the beginning of the end of their dynasty. If he hands the ball to Marshawn Lynch, they probably win that Super Bowl, probably another one or two, and they're still riding high right now as an organization. There's a, there, that might be my time of hot take right there. Marshawn Lynch goes for a buck 50 on his own, on his own team. I'm not sure if I should take you seriously based on what I just heard come out of your mouth in the last two minutes, but yeah. I'm not sure if you, you realize, but the, those guys were already too expensive. And if they would have won more Super Bowls, they would have been even more expensive and they wouldn't have been able to keep them. Plus, they've had injuries and Marshawn just decided to retire because he didn't want to play there anymore and he wanted to go back home. So all of the things that you just said are erroneous. Let's he lost on. his locker room. When he didn't hand the ball to Marshawn, it told everyone in his team, oh, it's no longer about winning. It's about him. And that's when he lost the locker room, the Seahawks. So all that stuff still might have happened, but people may have taken pay cuts. People may have still been fighting. People may have been wanting to come to that locker room. And then the, the, the report that the guys that were in that locker room would have been different about what they say about Pete Carroll. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, Joe. Okay. Next, next one. Who, who are we talking that. about? All right, here's what I got. We've got the Tama Locks of the week, which is different than the Tama Hot Takes because this is somebody you're just sure is going to have a win this weekend. And my Tama Lock of the week is the Packers over the 49ers, right? The Packers still have one of the greatest quarterbacks of every generation, all-time great quarterback. He's going to rise from the dead. I'm not going to quite say Phoenix, right? But he did not have a very good game last week after he called out his head coach and they lost the game. Everybody looked crappy. Aaron Rodgers took a lot of that blame after the game, but I think he's going to have a big bounce back game because that's what legends do. Aaron Rodgers is a legend, and he's going to continue to feel better, and he's going against a wounded 49ers team. Uh, they still got a lot of good pieces. Kyle Shanahan still calling the plays out there, but they got your guy C.J. Bethard throwing the quarterback, uh, throwing the, the pill back there at quarterback, yeah. and I don't have a lot of confidence in him, and I think the Packers are going to write the ship this week. They moved the 49ers off of Sunday night TV later in the season against their supposed to play the Rams. They moved that game and put the Chiefs versus Chiefs versus Bengals. So that tells That's you what people call. what people were thinking about the 49ers. So I, I like your time a lot, uh, surprisingly. I'm gonna give you two time locks instead of one because it's our show and we can kind of do what we want when you have your own show. I'm gonna give you the Bengals over the Steelers as a lock because the Steelers aren't looking like the Steelers of old from a toughness standpoint. And the Bengals are looking better than we've seen them in a while. And Vontez Burfick is back. And he is still has an axe to grind against them. There's so much bad blood. And I don't think the Steelers have enough tough guys to compete this week. My other tomahawk is the Rams over the Broncos. The reason being has nothing to do with football. We had Todd Gurley in the office the other day. So we were kind of just sitting and talking for like an hour. On his off day, he was just chatting it up, talking about how he loves the Tomahawk show. He doesn't miss an episode. He bought the T-shirt. He's in the DraftKings League, all of that stuff. And But what he was saying is after that win against the Seahawks last week where people thought that they should have beaten the Seattle Seahawks by more, he, he was talking about the fill in the locker room and how much fun everybody is having and how those personalities that everyone said weren't going to work together – how much they're gelling, how much they have it. They feel like a team to be, and they're enjoying the moment. And it just kind of got me excited uh, about that field. And I'm like, yo, there's no way they lose to the Broncos this week. They're going to kick Von Miller and Denver's ass up and down the field on Sunday. So that's my, time, my other time of lock of the week. All right. I'm only going to follow up on the, the Rams versus Broncos game, and I've got a few questions for you. Because the other take was perfect, but go ahead. It was a good take. I, I agree with you on that one, but – What's fun in the NFL, Andrew? Because um, you just said that one of the players from the Rams said, we just like each other so much. We're having fun. Yeah. That's why we're going to win. Because we're having fun. Winning is fun, Joe. Joe is winning. Winning fun. is fun, Andrew. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know what's not fun in the NFL? Andrew, why don't you tell me? Losing. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Losing is not fun. You know when you have fun – in the NFL is when you win. And you know what the Rams are right now? They're 5-0. and So they're having a lot of fun. They're yeah. not losing, so they still like each other. 
that's what camaraderie is. Camaraderie is you're winning, so you like each other. When you don't have camaraderie, it's because you're losing and you don't like each other. You don't like being around each other. You get sick of each other. You don't like the game plan. You don't like the coaches. They don't like you. They're bitching <laughs> about you behind closed doors. They're telling the GM, we need to get new players, better players, tougher players, because you're losing. Winning is the ultimate deodorant and losing makes you hate everybody. So when I start hearing people talk camaraderie and fun, I instantly turn my ears off if they were even on in the first place. Thank you well, very much. This would be a perfect time to do one of those sound effects where it goes, and it goes back to like five months ago when we're talking New England and why it's no fun to play there. And Joe is like, it's no fun in New England. Why would anybody want to play there? And then we cut back to this interview with a, winning is fun, Andrew. Can you imagine how much less fun they'd be having in New England if they were losing? True. Very true. All right, All we got right. our Asnet. We got how many questions we got for Asnet? Oh my Asnet god, millions! Episode? But we're gonna Million. narrow them down. All right, let's go. We're let's take down. millions down to two or three. All right. All right. Okay. Here we go. On this week's segment of Ask Nat, we're gonna ask her five guys versus In and Out. What's your favorite burger? Oh, that's easy. In and Out, one hundred percent. Nat, off to a one and zero start, if you ask me. 100%. Well, I'm born and raised in California. In and out is like a staple. I probably honestly have it like twice a week. It's really bad. Ooh. <laughs> What's your order at In and Out? Okay, I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. I get a number two, which is a cheeseburger with only the spread and grilled onions, no tomato, no lettuce. I hate tomatoes. And then fries and a lemonade or a Dr. Pepper. Animal style fries or regular? Regular fries. Okay, I give it a seven, six or seven. In the ranking, Joe, what burger do you like better, In and Out or Five Guys? I actually like In and Out better. When I was in college, it was my first time I ever went to California. I was on the track team at Wisconsin, and we used to take training trips out to Northridge, California during spring break. And at that time, I was still trying to gain weight because I was an undersized offensive tackle. I was a sophomore in college, and we would go to In and Out. I'm not kidding you, like four times a day, and I would get like three double doubles and like tons of french fries i would get a big shake and then we'd come back and i i bought uh, a couple sleeves of girl scout cookies those thin mints and a big thing of whole milk and i kept it in my refrigerator and so i would wash my three double doubles and my two orders of fries down with uh thin mints girl scout cookies and whole milk for dessert so i could try to gain some weight and after doing that for an entire week in northridge california i think i gained two pounds you know why you probably couldn't gain weight is because you were in the track team. But that's another conversation for another time. Let me tell you <laughs> what I was doing on the track team. I would go out and I would throw the shot put about 10 times because I was still hungover. And then I would go lay on the high jump mat as long as they weren't high jumping. And I would lay there till practice was over. And then when practice was over, we'd get in the van and drive back to the hotel and I would eat like an idiot again. Two sports star right there. Yeah, I was, right, I was a, a multi-sport athlete. <laughs> athlete. More than All an right. athlete. Next, Next question. Ask Nat question. All right. This comes from CLLR Jack Duffin, who's one of our big fans from overseas. And uh, he is wondering, Nat, if you were stuck on a desert island and had to have either Joe or Hawk help you survive, who would you take? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I hate being put in this position. This is bullshit. God. Um, you guys are, you have different reasons for why I would pick each of you. Give us the reasons why. <laughs> give, us, give us the reasons why you would pick each of us, Nat. I, okay, I feel like if Joe was there and there was like something going to come and attack me, Joe could fight it off. Oh, what the? But then, like, that mean, Nat? Uh, shot at your fat, out of shape body. <laughs> that has no. That has nothing to do with it. But then, Hawk could like probably carry me and run really fast somewhere. So like, yeah. they're both very beneficial. <laughs> So if you had to start a fire to save your life, you think Andrew could take two sticks and then rub them together until their fire was like, made? Well, I'm gonna, well, Joe can survive in the outdoors, so there's that. But Hawk dresses better. So. <laughs> That's debatable. I'm wearing the awesome Tomahawk shirt right now, by the way. The new one that you can only buy at GV Art, and it is awesome. So I think I dress better. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I would, I wouldn't argue that right now with that shirt. All right. Does Rage make Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year? Does who what? Okay, sorry. Yeah, okay. I figured you were from that's, California. That's a good way to end the ass night right there. <laughs> we're going to catch up on some rage music here on this side on the West Coast. DraftKings League, we didn't talk about that. 
The winner was Cleve Fan2323 with 184.6 points. He wins $73.16. Make sure you guys are jumping in that league. It's free money. If you win, you win the money. Or if you hit 73, 16 points exactly. The closest one to that this week was Nick Fanta with 74.6. Here in the Tomahawk, I got to give props for props are due. Never scored a TD. Our producer got seventh place with 170 points, which is kind of crazy. It's hard to score that high with 350 people in the league. I was next with 146 points at 63rd. Probably on average, I I do the best because I'm the best general manager amongst us. Joe was 226th place, which is terrible per usual. And Nat got 199, which is still failing. Um I think that does it for today's episode, Joe. Listen, make sure you follow us on social, Instagram and Twitter, at Tomahawk Show. Make sure you join the Listener League. Subscribe, rate five stars, tell a friend, tweet us at the hashtag Tomahawk. Joe, final thoughts, give them to me. All right, my final thoughts here for the day, and this is going to really appeal to my international fans. Uh, RIP, the Skiji Fish Market in Tokyo. Uh, my wife and I did a beautiful trip out to Japan a few years ago, and we got to go explore the Skiji Fish Market. It was the coolest, biggest, like raw fish market in the world where you can see these thousand pound tunas and uh, 800 pound marlins coming in and they were getting sold to all the great sushi restaurants all over Japan every day. And it is no more. So if you're a tourist, you're not going to be able to go over there and enjoy raw round clam for breakfast or like I had raw chicken thigh for breakfast. And uh, it's, it's too bad. That was quite the experience when I was over there as a tourista. Yeah. I'm a long John Silver's fish kind of guy. <laughs> so, well, we appreciate that, Joe. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>